0: I would say focus on reaching out and by highlighting mutual points of connection and a particular ask. And this might be for instance to work together on an issue or for them to act as a mentor. But the key here is for the request to really be meaningful to them as well. So why should they spend some of their time speaking to you or working with you or caring really of what you have to say rather than just deleting the email?
1: Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. I'm Farina Hefty. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support to continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children you can now take the first step to join a network of like-minded fellows from all sectors by registering interest today on www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest applications to our fellowship will open very soon and you will get a senior leader mentor access to thought leadership about what works for parents and careers and also space to think in a structured environment So today's conversation is a follow-up on last week with the wonderful Dr. Maya Corita, which was very popular. If you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, I do suggest that you go back and give it a listen. Today's episode has been recorded as a follow-up just a few weeks ago, and I grill Maya how to apply the key research that we have about networking and about making an impression to a virtual environment. So how do you influence senior leaders when there isn't a water cooler around? How do you make sure you're listened to in a virtual context? And what do you do to make sure people have an excellent first impression when you don't meet face to face? And actually, when you might have children barging in on your video conference call. Maya shares, again, really practical insights with us, at uh, all this while looking after her tiny baby. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, Maya, to the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here again. Since we last spoke, lots of things happened. Um, You have had a new baby um, and you've had her during lockdown. What, What has this been like for you?
0: First of all, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. To be honest, it's sort of interestingly, it's kind of been blissful in a way because we've both been able to be home and figure out parenthood on our own which I think really is a blessing. At the same time, it's been kind of relentless and isolating because Mm -hmm. even though she's been really good and my partner and I share everything 50-50, we couldn't just sort of leave her with friends or a grandparent for an hour and do something for ourselves, which, you know, my brain kind of immediately connects as a reminder to the kind of importance of support structures, both personal and kind of I guess, structural. I was just reminded of that earlier today when I was trying to prepare for this podcast while sort of Lou sleeping on me and me typing with one hand. And you know, while it's good that I may have learned how to type while she sleeps on me with one hand, it's not really a sustainable way going forward in terms of effective working while a parent. So I guess that's one way of reflecting on how the experience has been.
1: I couldn't agree more. You know, the people say it takes a village to raise a child, but I never paid that so much attention. But now, as I mentioned before we started recording, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And even the fact that our neighbor can't come oh round to play yeah. with them for an hour. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you really miss that. And I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, the world has changed since we last spoke. What do you think is different in online networking and building an- alliances now?
0: I think that's a really, really good question. I would kind of say two things are in particular made more challenging and these are critical anyways when it comes to organizations and to progression. The first is effective communication and the second is trust. So if we kind of start with communication, huge parts of this in sort of normal times relies on being in the same room. So that allows us to clock body language and over nonverbal cues, and also see people in their environments. So including how they relate to others. And it's sort of, you know, sociologically, anthropologically from these things that we primarily draw conclusions about people's motivations, about aims, about understanding their understanding, their character, their morals. Without this, it kind of becomes harder to make sense on our own and all, therefore to relate to them, to tailor our communication, to understand really who they are. Similarly, we know that familiarity breeds trust. So we've talked about this a little bit last time, but that's the function of all those work dinners in the evenings, the drinks at the pub, the retreats, the golf sessions on the weekend. Familiarity, though, at that kind of quite elemental level is more difficult uh, to establish online, as this represents effectively what I called an impoverished sociality. It is out of context. It's kind of out of time, really, and out of normal relations. So normal kind of everyday way in which we relate to each other in a socially direct way, face-to-face. So basically, in a way, you can think about it as a sort of stage and now some people may be exactly the same on stage and off stage, but we generally have to know and trust people to be able to make that assessment. And again, being online only without having a pre relationships means that you don't have that familiarity and you don't have that trust to be able to make that assessment. That being said, it's kind of also the case that crisis often spur action. So people might be more open to direct communication and working together with strangers than in other situations. So actually, the kind of current crisis might also be an opportunity to be seized. So to work around those constraints and to seize that opportunity, I would say what is critical is working through others and putting to work your existing Network. In fact, it's kind of even more critical because, in some ways, what those people can do for you is reassure you of someone else and them of you, and also to speak to each other's work honestly and in detail. So it's kind of using them as and using those introductions as a meaningful springboard which will kind of more likely mean that you're starting from a place of greater trust and more open communication, which makes both networking and focus alliances far more effective. So I'd say make sure that you are kind of seizing your existing networks, even those that are dormant, but particularly those that can meaningfully introduce you to others because really they will ensure that you're starting from a more trusting position, which will make any kind of communication, particularly around certain issues, which is what building alliances is about, far more effective.
1: And you are back at work for some of the time, yes. aren't you? So- Have you practically
0: seized your network, your existing network? And if yes, how did you practically do that? So I think what's been interesting for me is obviously I'm currently still technically on maternity leave, though, because of teaching requirements and not wanting to leave my colleagues in the lurch in terms of taking things online at a time where they're very busy. I've had to kind of keep one toe in And so I've firsthand faced this challenge of, okay, not knowing what's going on in my organization and also, but at the same time, needing to do certain things that require networking, like for instance, identify guest speakers or make sure that certain things that are happening in the organization that are important to me, like certain foci around, you know, inclusion, for instance, continue to be relevant. So what I've tried to do really is For instance, when it comes to speakers, I've tried to use those uh, networks quite specifically. And when it comes to basically, for instance, improving my module in a way that I think is important, but which requires additional effort, I've tried to basically go through colleagues administratively who I already know to introduce me to colleagues who I need, who I don't know, therefore making them more likely to want to take requests from me for additional work at a time where everybody's busy, but to actually kind of want to do that because they also recognize recognize the importance of the approach that I'm suggesting. And I know through my contact with their colleagues, who's our mutual contact, that this is something that's also important for them. So you can kind of see that it's a very specific example to me, but the key idea is, you know, to really try to keep in touch with people, try to facilitate con- conversations with others, knowing that that will come back to you eventually as an opportunity as well and kind of try to, in some way, leverage the familiarity that others have and use that on your behalf. Because as I said, online only, if people don't know you, they only have proxies really to stand for you. And a far, far more effective proxy than your LinkedIn profile is somebody picking up the phone and saying, is absolutely terrific truster. So that's a true north guide that I always stick to when it comes to my own efforts.
1: Interesting. So actually now is the time to invest more in that social proof and really asking others to advocate for you if you can. Absolutely. Either behind the scene or in front of the scenes. Just again on your personal experience. You said it was difficult to establish trust and familiarity mm-hmm. in addition to asking for those recommendations. Is there something else that you do to quickly create a relationship with someone when you can't see them or when you can't, well, you you can't see them on video conferencing software, but you don't have the same level of interaction.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing, I think about this a lot as well, because the way I teach is basically to create psychologically safe spaces. You might know the work of Amy Edmondson, and she crafted this notion of psychological safety. And basically what it means is you need to work ideally in an environment and establish relationships in which it is okay for each one of you to be silly, to fail, to not be perfect, to occasionally say something which is not ideal, but to trust that basically the other people won't make fun of you, and or won't kind of see that as negative or exploited in any kind of a way. So I generally try to engage at all times in relationships with people where psychological safety is a part of that. And this is actually critical when you don't already have a pre-established relationship with somebody, because what that allows you to do is to in effect be vulnerable with somebody else. So I'll give you an example. So if you haven't spoken to somebody and you would like to establish a meaningful relationship with them, this is going to sound very callous and strategic, but it's kind of what the literature tells us is valuable. What is valuable is actually in some way trying to connect with them in a way that makes you seem like you're not hiding things or being not transparent or having any kind of alternative agendas. And the way to do that is basically to make yourself, as I said, vulnerable. So you might, for instance, make a bad joke, something that makes you a little bit kind of silly, something that makes you seem quite informal instead of very kind of strict and professional. So basically what makes you more human? What that will do in effect is make the other person more easily let go as well, because before getting on that call, they just have your LinkedIn profile, for instance, they have all these preconceived ideas about who you might be based on your title, based on your name, based on your appearance, based on other things, so second order type of things. And therefore, they might have perhaps a, quite a standoffish approach, or they might have a very professional approach. And by actually relating to them in a way that is a kind of a human, familiar, You know, respectful, but the way you might kind of a friend at work way, what that allows really to do is to switch it quite early on into a sort of human element of interaction. So this is not a place where we need to be very serious with each other. This is a place where we can speak honestly. So for instance, saying something quite honest, occasionally perhaps cursing, obviously you don't want to do this with a senior line manager, but it is useful to do this with people who you want to work with. At the end of the day, it's all about one, treating people with respect, which means treating them on a kind of human level. And secondly, just kind of honesty, being yourself and showing yourself. You know, the risk there is, is that they might still take advantage of that. So you shouldn't share all your secrets immediately. That's not the point there. But the point is to make it a little bit more of a space where people can just let loose. And like I said, Amy Edmondson really emphasizes psychological safety as critical for both better organizations and mutual learning. And I would say actually for establishing meaningful connections with people of what we call swift trust, that's critical as well.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. It's quite interesting, actually, that you mentioned swearing. I don't advocate swearing. I don't usually swear sometimes, but not (laughs) usually. And definitely not usually on video conferencing. But actually, I did read some research. I can't remember who it was from or if it was credible or not. But I did read some research that people find you more honest if you swear. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah.
0: Exactly that. I'm not suggesting you go on a kind of tirade five minutes, but if you, for instance, say crap, this is crap, for instance, for some people that might be a way of breaking the barrier, but also to make yourself just honest. So you're not kind of faffing, you're not kind of embellishing, you're just calling it as it is, right? That's a way in which, for instance, that that kind of cursing might be effective.
1: I used to be very formal on the phone or on video conferencing before... The lockdown a lot more formal than Mm. face-to-face meetings but i've really changed that and i haven't planned it because of what you're telling me now i didn't know this but intuitively i just realized that i had to just give a bit more of myself yeah and the imperfect self and of course the fact that my kids might run in because they're escaping from whoever is looking after them downstairs that helps obviously let's talk about women and lockdown or carers and lockdown so we do know there's a lot of research to show that women are disproportionately affected by the impact of coronavirus so we know they're more likely to shoulder childcare, they're more likely to be furloughed and they are probably more likely to be made redundant in the coming months what is your view of the impact of this long term
0: so first of all, absolutely, we have mountains of evidence that this is the case. So just to highlight a couple, it's not just a return to old gender roles. So for instance, we have institute from the evidence from the Institute for Fiscal Studies that you may have seen that kind of suggests very clearly that though both parents of opposite genders might be working at home with kids, men have more uninterrupted hours than women. Also sort of when men break kids on the call, it's kind of seen as cute rather than unprofessional. So there's some of that kind of old gender roles and biases, but also, as you kind of mentioned, some of the most female-dominated industries have been most heavily hit like retail, but also beauty and childcare, which incidentally have been among the last to reopen as well, which tells us something. That also means there's little structural support there to parents via creches or schools, but also things like cleaning or nannies for those who can support it. All of those are not available. So if you combine that with not being able to see family or friends for childcare, we kind of talked about that a little bit. And the impact is clear if you're lucky to still have a job. You're going to be doing it, as far as I can see, at least three paces behind those with no care or parenting responsibilities. And putting that even, even broadly speaking, this is for me the beginning or more accurately and realistically a dr- drastic exasperation of an already formally or informally tiered economy. I think here I'm reminded of a recent RSA blog that I read and it phrased it as we may be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And I think that's a really nice metaphor because some of us will be in a yacht and others will be sort of in a sailboat whose motor has been cut and the sail is kind of looking iffy a bit as well. As a consequence, more effort is really needed simply to stay in place performance and jobs wise, much less get ahead. And I think that's absolutely realistic impact. And we're already seeing that.
1: Agreed. And there are really no simple fixes, unfortunately. If you would suggest, let's say someone is listening to this and they have been affected for whatever reason they're doing the the majority of the childcare at home. Maybe if they have a partner, their partner might want to do it, but their employer might not expect them to do that. So if someone is listening to that and they want to do one thing to minimise the impact of this period on their long-term career, what one thing could they start doing, if anything?
0: Well, I think there's a couple things they can do, and some of that relates to things that I normally advocate in terms of just staying ahead and not letting their career veer off, in a sense, if that's a meaningful progression they want. It kind of relates to a critical bigger point, which I'd like to highlight, which is that to get ahead, you have to be seen to be performing, but also joining. And I think those two things are both in different ways made more difficult by the present situation. So being visibly online and available is hard enough. It's doubly hard to kind of be working on nuanced strategic work, say, that requires many hours of considerations with others. Doing that in these conditions is pretty impossible. One thing I will just highlight before I say what can parents do, which I think is also important. First of all, hopefully some employers will recognize the potential impact and they will Establish efforts to minimize it. I remember reading an interview, a piece in the Financial Times where a Deutsche Bank US chief exec was quoted saying, We're going to be really clear, for instance, that there's not going to be a distinction going forward between someone who's in the office and who's out of the office. So they're equally able to do their job and equally able to be part of the team. To be perfectly honest with you, I think the realization is great. I think the actual practical follow up of making sure that those differences do not lead to differences in promotion and opportunities. I think the latter is much less likely and much more of a challenge. So for instance, we have evidence, just to give an example, from Professor Michan Wiesenfeld and NYU Stern, that basically if you're working remotely, you're far more likely to be disadvantaged in terms of promotion outcomes and pay unless your manager is also remote. So there's a kind of need, basically, structurally, ideally, that everybody be on the same playing field. So for instance, ideally, what we want to see happen beyond individual strategies, and I'll talk about those in a second, is basically a corrective that is the new normal becomes the new normal for everyone not just some people who have to either opt in or out. So example there is Twitter moving all their staff to working remotely. And I think that will at least ensure that there's an equal baseline to strategize and position from. And I am purposely saying strategize and position because again, I think it's quite dangerous to assume that just because we're in a crisis, the only thing that counts now is the work itself. As I mentioned before, when we last spoke, politics matters and politics still matters as that's kind of staying in the know. So on that basis, what can parents do? beyond kind of praying and hoping that schools and care support facilities reopen as soon as possible and, you know, that your company kind of like Twitter really seriously helps you. I think the principles are the same as getting ahead in normal times. So I would highlight four. First of all, ensure you maintain your networks. Secondly, work on your visibility. Thirdly, find new allies around issues of mutual concern. And fourthly, position yourself strategically for new opportunities. Do I have time to go through those, Reina? Absolutely. So let's talk about the first one. The first one I mentioned, ensure you maintain your networks. We talked about networks before. Your networks are absolutely key in helping you keep in the know about what's going on, especially at times of very rapid change. So how are the winds blowing? What are the issues or the bad news that might be coming down the pipe? What might be the key opportunities at the same time? So you have to make sure you're maintaining them, which means absolutely prioritizing them and not seeing them as an extra. So particularly when we're kind of very constrained at work, we have kids running around, we might have other obligations. We have all these other things that are, are pushing for our time. It's very easy to kind of forget about that. But if you could just make it a dedicated task for yourself to make At least one phone call or series of texts a day with key members of your network, that will make sure that you keep in regular contact and keep those networks going. Secondly, you have to work on your visibility. The good news about the current situation is that the customary corporate practices of dinners, evenings at the pub, etc., which are all quite exclusionary to parents, are no longer possible. So instead, the kind of familiarity with senior leaders has to be achieved in some other way. Of course, people who already have that familiarity and trust are at an advantage here. But the breakdown of kind of the usual structures, which Corona has facilitated, also does create openings. So for instance, it might be more appropriate to reach out to potential mentors if you're, let's say, on a company-wide call in which they made a point that you particularly agreed with. At the same time, you may want to consider your work and see if there are any of it that kind of relates to or can provide a solution to a forthcoming issue. You can then use your network to understand how to best approach someone who might be a friendly sponsor, who shares your concerns, and establish yourself basically as a visible and valuable contributor. Another good thing about this is that basically thinking about what you need to make yourself visible may also encourage you to think about prioritization, especially at times like this, when you have so many other things competing for your attention, how you decide to spend your time and what you decide to spend your time on is absolutely critical. And keeping an eye out on that visibility question, which means visibility to key audiences and around key issues, is, I think, absolutely critical. Our time is at a premium, so the idea is we should use it wisely. Thirdly, find new allies. So change is the right time to be kind of considering your priorities. As I said, it's also the right time to reach out and make connections to those who you're finding actually you might work together with, without the usual barriers in place, like for instance, having different bosses or or being on different office floors, right? So we don't have these things anymore. So focusing on mutual interests, but also areas where you feel your network is less strong might allow you to, again, in a focused way, focus that network expansion. So not just maintaining your networks, but meaningfully expanding them. And by the way, using your existing network, again, in the way that I suggested at the beginning to facilitate introductions is a really good way of doing this. Finally, and I'll let you pick any questions afterwards, position yourself strategically for new opportunities. And I think the previous three are really about making a splash, which is really usually key for promotion. But it's also about recognizing that people need to know you to trust you. So we talked about already that social side of things. So I know that for some people playing those political games of kind of turf Wars isn't really their thing, so a focusing on maximizing of the impact of the work that you do do, and that you've chosen to prioritize, and letting that speak on your behalf via those key allies is, I think, a realistic strategy. So keep the network working for you. Find mentors to give you sponsorship, and work with new allies to scale efforts. Sadly, and I'll finish at this point, as I mentioned in our previous conversation too, though it kind of feels like just surviving at this point is doing a lot. I think promotion will likely still come from meeting a need for the organization in a highly visible and strategically relevant way. So that has unfortunately not changed. So I think realizing that and perhaps centering and prioritizing your work in that direction as much as you can with as much discretion as you're given is a really, I think, sensible choice at this time.
1: I couldn't agree more. I'm really glad you're sharing these things because this is what the research tells us that is good to do now in order to sell. But I just want to reassure anyone who's listening now... Kind of on your last point is just surviving. That is completely understandable. In terms of your long term health and well being, it's no, probably absolutely. the most important things to look after yourself. And actually, hopefully, we're going to work until 70. So that means we do have time. But if there are simple things that you can do, like these really practical tips that you've given, then definitely. Put yourself out there. And
0: sometimes it's not about doing more necessarily, it's just about doing things slightly differently. Yeah. And to that point, I just wanted to say, I think the bit that you highlighted is really important. You know, I was answering the question from the perspective of if you wanted to get ahead right now, this is what you could do. But all the things that I've mentioned, and particularly maintaining and expanding your network, thinking about allies, thinking in those ways about, okay, just prioritizing for yourself. All of that is with the recognition that these are investments for the long term. And a huge part of all of this is also timing. As we've discussed previously as well, maybe your version of a good life is just having a better work-life balance. Maybe it's not getting ahead in organizations, but maybe it's creating space for you to perhaps you've actually enjoyed lockdown. Perhaps you realize that now your priorities have changed. So it's about creating a space for you to be able to capitalize on that. So it's not just necessarily, you know, acting in the now. It's also about basically creating an environment from which you can do what works for you in the longer term, and it doesn't have to be right now. All those things that I've described, as you rightly said, you know, getting ahead isn't worth it. I certainly wouldn't think so if it compromises your health and your well being and your family life. And all of us right now are exhausted. So, really, this isn't necessarily to kind of suggest that this is necessary work that needs to be done. It is just to say that. This is if this is something that you want to do, this is perhaps worth building toward at this time, realizing that, of course, everybody has different constraints.
1: Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent of putting yourself out there. And I do think while the system isn't equal yet, and clearly, like you described, it really isn't, we do need to... Do those things to put ourselves out there and to create those connections, which is why I really wanted to chat to you again for this podcast. We also talked about the decision making of executive teams and those very senior leaders about how they make decisions. And if I remember right, the bottom line is that they don't really make the decisions in the official meetings where they're saying they would make decision. It's they're making decisions in informal spaces. Yeah, exactly. So if someone hears this, but now the only thing very you know there is no water cooler anymore in a zoom meeting it's not that <laughs> yeah. easy to have those informal discussions sorry there are obviously other non-amazon owned wonderful <laughs> video conferencing <laughs> sites out there i'm trying to wean myself off amazon it's very difficult but I've, from an ethical perspective i think it's a good I'm thing with you. anyways <laughs> my question is how do you in this new environment get access to executive leaders and how do you help them influence their decision making
0: so there's two aspects there. I already mentioned the first bit, which is how do you reach out to them at all, especially with those informal social opportunities it simply aren't there in the way that normally would be. So there's no water coolers, etc. That being said, when it comes to senior leaders, you know, for the rest of the organization, there's rarely a water cooler when it comes to mm-hmm. coming to those people. You know, they live largely separate lives, especially in large organizations. But that being said, so in, in kind of in a different way, the current crisis has opened up real opportunities for meeting people beyond usual hierarchies that would have perhaps prevented that. So I think actually the story there is a bit positive. And in particular, I would say the first question of how do you reach out to them? I think, you know, I mentioned already uh, some of those large meetings, if they were to make a point, I would say focus on reaching out and by highlighting mutual points of connection and a particular ask. And this might be for instance, to work together on an issue or for them to act as a mentor. But the key here is for the request to really be meaningful to them as well. So why should they spend some of their time speaking to you or working with you or caring really of what you have to say? rather than just deleting the email. So the ask cannot be just something of use to you, but ideally something of use to both of you. Importantly, again, you can kind of see these things all connect and mutually reinforce. Your network might be able to tell you what they're passionate about or how best to approach them. And Dustin, who's written a lot about this form of communication, talks about this as relational knowledge. So knowing the people in your organization and knowing the relationships between them. And this kind of relates also to a particular strategy that is uh, Dutton and colleagues have developed, which is called issue selling, which is basically about how do you combine the knowledge that you have of people, of strategic issues, and of the norms in your organization to craft basically a compelling message, link it to a key strategic priority for the organization, and then present this in the right way at the right time so that it does actually contribute to those decisions. So basically what this is an opportunity for people who don't necessarily have a lot of hierarchical power, but who want to use the opportunity to really advocate for an issue that they care about, which might, for instance, be, okay, the opportunity or the crisis has shown that we can all effectively work from home. This organization has previously been, however, resistant to flexible working. Can we now revisit this? So, for instance, that might be an issue that you might want to effectively sell. The important thing is to realize that that won't necessarily break down that closed circle nature of executive decision making, but it does give an opening for a focused connection around an issue, around an issue that you're passionate about, that you can create meaningful visibility for you around as well. Without resorting again to empty politicking or without it necessarily presenting tons of work that right now, in this kind of moment in time when we're all exhausted, feels like, why am I even doing this, right? So, as I said, it can be something that genuinely would be personally helpful for us, personally meaningful, but it might be really now the right opportunity to connect on that personal level. But for that, we need to make sure that those individuals know what that means for them and how that will help the organization more broadly. But as I said, issue selling is the strategy for that. And it's really one of the super useful things that I teach my MBAs about how to really occasion change in organizations. And I think actually the present moment, once we've all recovered and had some holidays and, you know, charged our batteries, the present moment really gives us hundreds of opportunities for such meaningful change. And I think capitalizing on that is really going to be critical
1: you are so right because there are at the moment so many unsolved issues and everything has been thrown in the air and leaders themselves don't know the answers and so will be probably more open it reminds me of an interesting conversation i met with a group of fellows last week so those are the fellows on our program to talk about ideas they had to influence their organizations to make sure that the lockdown doesn't impact women disproportionately or doesn't impact fathers and mothers dip- disproportionately they actually came to the conclusion that by leading initiatives by having conversations about this in germany say you kill two flies with one Yeah,
0: like two birds with one stone i think is the english that's the one <laughs> excellent <laughs> very
1: good <laughs> so yes because at the same time as doing something to improve the situation for other parents or women you also are driving up your own visibility, you're creating those networks with senior leaders. So yes, I can absolutely agree with you. I think it's a really good opportunity. We're coming to the end of this conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell our listeners at this stage?
0: i think we've touched on various aspects i think realistically you're right we all need to give ourselves a little bit of a break and also recognize that what we've all just lived through has been not normal times so just surviving has you know been in many ways an achievement and this isn't to minimize that in any kind of a way it's just to basically recognize that that being said the organizations are still inherently and structurally differential places so for instance we know that lockdown experience for some has been Lovely and in fact, even perhaps boring because they haven't had as much work as they would have normally wanted. So, that is obviously not the experience of many others, parents with kids at home included. Or, the realization there that I would like to encourage is that organizations remain spaces where we need to work to make change happen. The good news is, as I've said, is that this is the moment where some of those changes that previously would have taken a lot of effort and perhaps we wouldn't have seen the point in this is now the opportunity for those to happen. And for those who are interested in doing that, another book that I can recommend, and this is my final recommendation, is a book by Deborah Mayerson called Rocking the Boat. Deborah's work I appreciate a lot. Basically, the book is all about how people act on their identities and values to basically occasion change, to making a visible alternatives and to challenge the normal ways of acting. And in that way, they sort of act their way into change and signal that possibility to change to others without necessarily putting themselves on the line. Sometimes those really small actions that we make can also be very meaningful. Her book is wonderfully rich in all the examples of that kind of work. It also is infinitely readable. And I think in many ways, it's also inspiring. And perhaps at this moment in time, like I said, once we all recover, we may want a bit of inspiration for something that we are genuinely passionate about that we think would make our lives better and organizations better. And so Deborah's book can definitely help you in that way and be a good friend.
1: Excellent. I shall read it, but also try to interview her for this podcast if she's up for it. Thank you so much for all your really valuable insights and contributions. We said to each other, we might have just a 10 minutes follow-up conversation, but clearly I enjoyed chatting to you too much. So I think we might have to make this into an individual episode. Can you please just share again with people how they can find out about your work and connect with you.
0: So repeat myself from last time, I'm infinitely Googleable, but the easiest way is probably Twitter, where I am at Dr. DrKorica, which is D-R-K-O-R-I-C-A, or via LinkedIn. And I'll repeat what I said before as well. I'm genuinely very much interested in helping as much as I can in doing my part to pay any knowledge that I might have forward. So if people want to reach out follow up on anything that I mentioned or any references any suggestions please contact me at any time I'm more than happy to have a conversation
1: wonderful thank you so much for being such a brilliant champion for these issues and I always enjoy speaking to you thank you so much for thank you for listening today If you have enjoyed the conversation with Maya, you are in for a treat. Next week, I interview Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, who is the CEO of 21st and a global expert in gender equality. She advises boards about how to get gender equality right. And she is an expert about driving change in organizations. So we chat about how do we drive change, both from the top and from a middle leadership position. She's incredibly inspiring, um, which is also why I've been uh, headhunting her to join as a Leaders Plus mentor, which she has done. And um, yeah, she's wonderful. Anyways, do give it a listen next week. Also, as I mentioned at the beginning, do register interest to join the fellowship. If you'd like to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors, you can do this on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest right now. Thank you to everyone who's been sharing the podcast leaving five-star reviews and just generally helping me to spread the love. I do this because I'm passionate about it and I want to spread this message that it is okay to love your ambitious career and to love your children at the same time. You don't have to choose. You shouldn't have to choose. But I really need your help to spread this message further. So... I would love to make a difference to a thousand listeners by September, which now is not too far away. So if this podcast has helped you, inspired you in any way, then please take one moment to share it with five of your friends. Leave a review, ideally five star. And most importantly, do hit subscribe to the podcast. Um, Thank you so much in advance for your help. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, have a wonderful week.